Hi y'all, welcome to the very last episode of Tejana Feminist Talks, a podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Lopez. Today, I had the honor of speaking to my dear friend, Maxwell Poyser. Maxwell uses she-they pronouns and describes himself as a recovering pessimist and a sex relationship and intimacy-specific writer. She's a head of marketing at a matchmaking company called Fern Connections and an interior designer and interior architect. We spoke about how she got into the sex and relationship industry, as well as their writing and their thoughts on what a trans-inclusive sex education could look like here in Texas. Um, This was one of my longer chats, um, and I had a lot of fun, um, but unfortunately, some things did have to be edited out for time's sake, and obviously with Maxwell's permission. Um, But I hope that you're able to enjoy what we were able to capture. I still think it's a great conversation. Um, and I'm really glad that Max came on. I also highly encourage you all to read uh, Max's Voyage Dallas profile and check out Fern Connections as well as the blog she writes for. Um, As always, those links will be in the description of the episode. And lastly, I want to thank y'all again so much for your support. I do have some closing remarks at the end, um, but for now, I hope you enjoy. So here's my interview with Maxwell. Okay. Wow. Well, um, thank you for being here today. I'm really, really excited to talk to you. Um, yeah. And thanks for being my last official guest. Uh, I think this will be a good, a good conversation. So um, we can just get into it. So if you could introduce yourself, name, pronouns, who you are, what you do, um, you can say it as little or as much about yourself as you want. Amazing. I also am very excited to be here. I'm very honored to be your last podcast guest, officially. Um, it's, you know, very warming my heart right now. But my name is Maxwell Poyser. I use she, they pronouns. I um, identify as queer, which I feel like is something that is important to me in the sense that I don't necessarily use a lot of defining boundaries to talk about my gender, talk about my sexuality, because I feel like it's very fluid and I want to allow myself to, if I wake up one day and I'm like, okay, I want to wear a three-piece suit and a full Windsor tie, or the next day I want to wake up and wear like a ball gown, it doesn't necessarily go against myself being like I'm a non-binary femme or non-binary mass presenting or like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I very much engage in the full realms of like gender fluidity and kind of like the fluid spectrum of like sexual expression and engagement. And so that's a little bit about me. Um, Other fun things about me. uh, I saw that there was a question about like, what's called mundane things that you like. I like robes. Mm -hmm. I'm really into robes right now. Oh wow. I don't know what it is. Like I have gotten really into just like the whole like morning routine and like night care routine. I think it's also kind of like a product of me trying to like get hold of like my mental health and like have some kind of like stability and like, why should I get out of bed? Why should I wash my face? Why should I like not just like get into pajamas and then immediately start watching Netflix at 730 (laughs) at night Um, or in the morning, who knows? (laughs) Um, And so that kind of like creating a special space for me to like walk into and like I decked out my bathroom we have candles we have robes I put up little hooks that I got from Lowe's I'm very handy 
I'm very much that stereotypical where it's like the gay woman that's like super handy and is like at the hardware store every week <laughs> because I'm in the mm-hmm. hardware store every week and I kind of try and like be like no guys I'm I'm like everyone else I'm no I don't fall into any stereotypes I fall heavy into that stereotype I'm falling foot forward into that stereotype um but yeah I put up some new hooks I'd be putting up everything in our house actually so kudos to me but (laughs) wow that is okay that is so good that is such a good answer like obviously there are no wrong answers but this answer is a very good one because um yeah I I really think that creating like routine is important especially like if you work from home or like don't really have like those like um like physical boundaries stopping you from like doing work or other stuff so Mm-hmm. I love that and now I'm kind of like maybe I should get a robe like with that <laughs> I think it's actually been really really helpful for me especially because I didn't realize that I would be working from home probably indefinitely most of the time I feel like there are some times where I need to go out for events or to like meet with people but I feel like 80% of my time is just spent inside like two rooms and it's been really helpful to kind of have that sense of, okay, I work in this room and then I go into my bedroom and like my bedroom is like the space where I get ready and I start my day and then where I end my day. And I try not to work in my bedroom, I don't know how I work, but I try not to work in my bedroom and just to kind of create these boundaries. And as you're saying, like this good structure to live my life and not just like lose myself because I end up doing a lot of things mostly because I have a lot of interest but I think it could be very easy where I would just be like working and like doing things and like all the time and I don't create any space for myself and then crazy things happen like I get an eczema breakout on my face because I'm stressed and I'm not treating my stress and then I'm like why is my skin so dry and it's like and your body's trying to tell you things and I'm not listening because I am overworking myself. So robes for life. Robes save the day once again. Um, well, I think that's a really good segue into talking about what you do for work. Um, so you are the head of marketing and media at mm-hmm. Fern Connections, a matchmaking company. Um, and I would love for you to describe the work that you do at Fern Connections. Yes. So to start off, I'll talk about what Fern Connections is. It's a matchmaking company Mm -hmm. and it's queer, inclusive, and focused mostly. We do work with allies. That is something that we wanted to include in our structure just because there are sometimes, especially in the matchmaking industry, where it can be kind of whitewash and be kind of like straight wash mm-hmm. and there's people who you end up getting matched with and I mean if you can only imagine I mean we're both queer but it's like if you only imagine and you're like straight and like this is a cause that you feel really great about and then you meet someone and you think they're really nice and it's like a guy and this woman is like you know I'm really into him and then this guy's like oh yeah but like <laughs> something transphobic just comes yeah. out of his mouth and then you're like well anyway back to square one And so we try to create a space for allies as well to kind of, you know, be included and not feel like they have to settle into also heteronormative relationships just because that is their 
sexuality or like sexual expression. But for me personally at Friend Connections, I, as you said, handle media and marketing, which is a lot of <laughs> just getting our word out there, getting people to know about the brand, creating like a cohesive kind of image um, for the company. And also I feel like there's been from, oh gosh, when did lockdown start? Like last March? Mm -hmm. And since then to now, and then like that mix in with like the Black Lives Matter protests, like everyone's like diversity, inclusion, blah, da, 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 um, which I mean, some people have done a great job. I won't say that everyone's done a great job, but I think mm -hmm. a really big part of, you know, working in marketing media at the time, which I just, I started literally at that time. I think I started a couple months after with the company uh, was making sure that, you know, our websites, our advertisements uh, the people that we had in promotions looked like the people that we worked with. And frankly, it looks like the people that we are, like it's a black woman owned company. And so we're not just going to like have a bunch of like white people, just like, especially like straight white people or even like gay white men, just like on our advertisements, mm -hmm. because that's really not the clientele that we serve. And that's absolutely not <laughs> the individuals who are creating the decisions behind the scenes. Um, and I, as the individual who's creating image behind the scenes, you know, I don't know if anyone's aware, I'm not a gay white man. So <laughs> I tend to <laughs> think about those things maybe in a different way than other um, diversity and inclusion individuals are just because it comes very natural to me to be like, how do I create a space where I feel comfortable and then where my friends would feel comfortable and just being in like a naturally diverse environment it just is like well of course I would like bring that energy to wherever I go um even some of the ad campaigns that we did it's like we have you know brown skin people we have white people we have trans people we have you know queer people we have straight people but it's like these are just people that we knew and it wasn't us going out looking for actors to be a part of this promotion it was just like hey <laughs> we're going to shoot a commercial. Do you guys want to come down and be in the commercial? Mm. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> sure. And like, then we're going to go to dinner afterwards. And I'm like, oh, you want an Italian or you want to go to a Latin <laughs> restaurant? And it's just, it was so natural and just so organic. And I definitely like that. It's been a very good learning opportunity and I'm glad that I could make that impact. And I know it's been really um, beneficial for our clients too, because they're like, oh, I feel included. I feel like I go a lot of places, even like I mean, it doesn't really matter even if you are accepting some form of privilege um, and adjacentness to your queerness or your gayness. Um, I think everyone feels a bit otherized. And so it's nice to just be able to like mm -hmm. log onto a website or open up your Instagram page and see people talking about problems that are appropriate for you and important to you and also by people who look like you. And so that's definitely something that's been really important to me when it comes to marketing and media. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of what you said like really resonated, but I'm looking back to like all like the um, different like commercials for like matchmaking companies. And mm -hmm. it's normally like white hetero couples. Yeah. And so I think that what y'all do at Friend Connections is definitely very important um, because obviously like black, brown and indigenous people deserve to 
be represented in a way that is not like um like what what would you call that like um just like using people for like the advantage of like yeah. the just for appearance right versus like yeah. committed to including people right um but like do it for the brand lifestyle yeah. <laughs> which yeah. i feel oh, like that. is how i feel like that's how a lot of like yeah. marketing media yeah. when it comes to diversity and inclusion is like oh how do we you know post these you know black and brown and indigenous people on our instagram how do we add more queer people i'm waiting every june it's almost oh, june, june, yes yes june yes. is about to be like everyone all of a sudden they'll be like, be like i'm an ally i'm here against homophobia i'm here against transphobia for the next yeah. how long is june 30 31 days mm -hmm. um <laughs> i'm like looking at my knuckles i'm like long short, long short. <laughs> And That's then, so um, true. Immediately, it'll just die off, and they do that for everything. Like now, it's like Asian and Pacific Islander Month. The news yeah. is talking about things. They do this for Black History Month, for you know Hispanic and Latino, you know Awareness History Month, autism, whatever, breast cancer, and it's just all of this, just uh, cultural washing or you know health washing. I even to say that it's like whatever it is for the month, we're going to pretend like we actually care in order to mm -hmm. look good and it's just like this giant PR stunt to like make people like you yeah. and honestly I mean consumers do buy into it but I wish they wouldn't and I think that that's I always joke that it's like my job is to get people to buy into what I'm selling them but also I aggressively try to tell them to not buy into everything that I <laughs> and, everyone else is selling them. and so it's like yes trust me but also with a grain of salt as you should with everyone because i think that that's realistic like it doesn't matter if i mean i have indigenous backgrounds i you know i'm a afro latino indo-caribbean black woman um, with the multi-racial multi-ethnic cultural <laughs> lifestyle that i have um everyone just like smash into one body which is <laughs> aggressive but then it's like, yeah, I'm coming from the space. And it's like, you can listen to me because I'm a credible source, but also listen to your gut and listen to what feels natural and holistic to you. If you feel like I'm swindling you, if I'm like uh, trying to like pull a fast one on you, like if you feel that way, like honor that. And if you feel like mm -hmm. anyone else is trying to pull a fast one on you, like also question them, question authority, question the people that you're buying products from, question the people that you're trusting. I think that that's a very healthy way to engage with the world around you and as much as I want to be like yeah use our services trust me buy me pick me love me <laughs> I'm also like no. listen to yourself trust yourself <laughs> like one thing about me that we should know is that I joke all the time which you know but it's like yeah I'm literally just, oh my god it's like serious topic and then insert joke and it just like it's depending on who you ask it ruins or makes everything <laughs> um no but i i think you bring up the important point of like people should trust themselves and like know that like okay if this doesn't seem right to me then i'm not i don't want to engage with that I'm like that's cool yeah um okay so i I want to get into all of our really good questions. So I'm going right. to move this along. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, 
I want to talk a little bit more about you know, where your interest in sex relationship and intimacy comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether you had like an aha moment or kind of like just organically occurred. Um, yeah, we want to yeah. chat about just that. Get into it. I feel like I was thinking about this when you initially had like posed the question and I think it, it sounds so cliche, but I think I was just a very like romantic child. Like I very much (laughs) that's cute right but it's like I was always like romanticizing things and like I was always like reading like poetry and like literature and like everything and I was just like so I mean you're like young you're like 14 15 you're like reading Rumi and you know Joan Didion and you know who knows all these other people years old reading (laughs) I mean I was advanced from us it's like how impressionable is 14 year olds and then I'm over here like reading this like just like volumes of literature I remember like reading about Virginia Woolf and uh oh my goodness what's her name her quote-unquote girlfriend I'm forgetting her name but we know we know who I'm talking about right mm-hmm. right and someone's like yeah but it's like that and I was like oh my goodness it's so like romantic and it's so passionate and they're like secret lovers and like they can't let anyone know because like Virginia's married um but like she like still has on the side and I think that dynamic initially also kind of like mapped my sexuality and like gender expression mm-hmm. also just because I mean I was like so young like 14 learning about these things and then it's like oh that's so romantic that's so like lustful and also the fact that her husband like wasn't necessarily like against it like he wasn't like being like no that's my wife I'm gonna take her and lock her in the attic quote unquote <laughs> Jane Austen um <laughs> Jane Eyre it's like that idea where it's like my wife acts up and is not engaging in the archetype of what I think a wife should be and so I'm going to Mm. restrict her and contract her emotions and her feelings and obviously just like ignore like her and then I'm going to go and find someone else who can else conform to what I want which I think is also the way a lot of modern society works we just call it divorce um (laughs) But I love the idea of like Virginia having this like husband who's like, okay, my wife likes this woman. She's in love with this other woman and I'm in love with my wife and I want my wife to be happy. And I don't think that for a second that she didn't love her husband. I mean, maybe, you know what I mean? I didn't read all the diaries, but I mean, and who loves their husband every day? Any married, anyone will be like, ask me tomorrow if they're getting any news. I <laughs> promise you being married is not an easy stint. But learning about that and being like, okay, people can love you and respect you and allow you to engage with, you know, people in this kind of collaborative and romantic space. I was like, that sounds so beautiful. I want that. And I think that that's basically how I initially got into the idea of like questioning um, like social norms and like gender norms and just like kind of like relationship norms and I very much just took it from like classical literature and like movies. I was obsessed with like TCM when I was a child. I mean, I still kind of am and I would just watch it all the time. And like, they were so romantic and like James Bond, I always talk about this. Like James Bond is like, so like seductive. And like, I always loved Sean Connery and Daniel Craig's James Bond because especially in Skyfall where there's that scene with, I always forget his name. 
there's someone listening to this screaming the names of the people. <laughs> You're like, I don't remember. They're like, dur, dur, dur. I, yeah. I was like, comment down below, guys, what the names are. That way we can learn. <laughs> um, but it's like, there's that scene when Skyfall, when he's like being, he's like tied up behind the chair and like the mm-hmm. like villain is like getting like all in his face. And he's like, you're forgetting your training now, aren't you? Da-da-da-da-da. And it's like that kind of sexual fluidity and like, kind of flirtatiousness and like you know cunning charming masculine quote-unquote individual Mm. I think growing up and also seeing that I was like "Ooh, I want to be James Bond like I want to be suave I want to be like slick and like charming and like flirt with everyone doesn't matter if they're like boys or girls or like men women whatever in between I was like that's that's alluring like that was very like "Mm, I love that and so that kind of just like shaped my personality shaped my approach to sexual relationships romantic relationships and even I think like gender identity where it's like I want to be Virginia Woolf I want to be Georgia O'Keefe I want to be James Bond which is just like a mind meld and then not to mention like Lauren Bacall like all these other like classic Hollywood Mm -hmm. stars so it's like there's the spectrum is just everywhere Mm -hmm. and I think allowing myself to not confine to any like gender specific orientation or any like sexuality orientation just allowed me to take um inspiration from like anywhere and everywhere um which also kind of goes hand in hand with being not necessarily non-judgmental because you know as Fran Lipwood says everyone's like I'm not judging I'm judging I'm judging judging." but (laughs) it's like non-judgmental of myself and non-judgmental of just general ideas and aspects of things. Like I was saying earlier, like I'm kind of like a, I take inspiration from like this like waspy preppy New England life, which (sighs) realistically we're like, we're not on the same headspace, but that fashion, that idea, that like lifestyle, I'm like, this is kind of cute. And I can take the cute bits and leave behind the bigotry and, you know, un welcomeness and be like I'm gonna wear a tennis skirt and I'm going to go out with my girlfriend to I don't know a tea garden or something which as like a queer black woman is like not (laughs) necessarily the most you know what people would picture that for you but I think it just allows me to be able to do that and to get back onto our question about how where I got into like also from Sex education, um, I think it was just my own personal health issues. I was having a lot of issues with my own like menstrual cycle and like mm-hmm. health in regards to just like holistic um, woman, female health. And I was just learning so much about it because I was like going to doctors and they were really, some were taking me seriously, most weren't. And then they yeah. also like couldn't give me any solutions. And like, I was just like thinking and thinking. And then I was like researching everything. And then the more I researched it, I then also was like, okay, I started talking with my friends naturally as one does. And then people were like, oh, you have such good advice. Like, can you help me with this and that? And then I was like also researching their issues. And then I started like posting on Instagram and I was like, okay, guys, we're going to talk about, you know, sustainable periods. We're going to talk about sea cycling. We're going to talk about this and this and this. Um, And then once you just start one place, you just keep trekking up that hill. So then it was like, you know, menstrual wellness, sexual wellness, um, relationship dynamics Mm -hmm. and like everything. And then I think it was just a very natural progression to not only like sexual wellness, but kind of like uh, 
I really see that like holistic intimacy, um, like just a look at that and everything that that goes into it, whether that's, you know, relationship dynamics with your partner or relationship dynamics with your friends or relationship dynamics with yourself. It's just the idea of taking care of the individual and how they exist and how they are for every aspect Mm. of their life to which I think that sex intimacy romance are very important aspects I think sometimes people trying to pretend like they're not because they can be kind of taboo but I mean they are in the hierarchy of needs I mean that's I mean I didn't make that but it was made for a reason (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like back in a few hundred years ago that was me by the way (laughs) um so first I just want to say whenever you were talking about when you started talking about like um giving your friends advice on like uh menstruation I remember I remember the video you said <laughs> it was, was long like, time. I need I your to email it I, to have, you. I have it I have it was like it, 20 yeah. minutes long of me just being like but it was so good right and and I think that um and and I know that you also like you said you do this on social media and kind of have taken that and like you know do it for like friend connection social media as well mm-hmm. um but I think it's it's really one helpful um but also I appreciate where you're coming from when you're like talking about this stuff because yes it is taboo right but yeah. people deserve to know about their bodies people deserve to know and like learn about like intimacy and relationships and what that looks like and like um the things that were not taught because they are outside of this norm right so um I'm here for I'm here for becoming like an advice expert with your friends like that is yeah that's (laughs) love that I kind of want to be an advice expert for everyone which is like I mean (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard to be taken seriously when you're like younger and I think just like the older I get the more and the less that people know what my age is the more that people want to take me seriously but they have them in Hollywood, Hollywood, but there's like these things like intimacy, let's back that up real quick. Intimacy coaches and intimacy directors, which is like during the sex scenes on set, they'll like help to like coach people, make sure that everyone's like consents are honored and, you know, boundaries aren't crossed and like kind of how to be like, okay, like, let's just loosey goosey, let's get into it. Let's kind of like get into this mind space and, you know, have the sex scene on deck. Uh, and that idea was like very exciting to me, but I was like, well, sure, we could do this in a movie, but also I feel like we need this in real life, real life. Yeah. Yeah. Where I was like, I want to be an intimacy coach. I want to be, you know, coaching people and like helping them just through this super dynamic and like aggressive and fluid space. And I was like, let's get into it, you guys. I'm an intimacy coach. Well, I think I think that's a that's a really good uh, segue to our next question about intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever I asked you like kind of what you would be interested in in talking about, you mentioned talking about modern intimacy, and mm-hmm. I really want you to like give us a, a little spiel on what that is, um, and then kind of breaking it down as to like yeah, li- like you said, like what its limitations are in our society considering that our society is very much a consumerist one right I think it's very consumerist and capitalistic and 
just very workhorse energy base where I don't think it really matters. Um, I mean, not talking about millionaires, billionaires, trillionaires, whatever. Um, like the <laughs> quote unquote everyday American, even if you like make half a million dollars a year, which is not the everyday American, but you still have to go to work. And I feel like you're still working quite a bit. And I feel like having to work aggressively, maybe having to like take care of kids, having to like, you know, work through schedules with your partner or with other people, it doesn't necessarily breed a very romantic and like intimate energy. Like you're busy, you're trying to find ways to just sustain your life and to sustain the lifestyle that you have built up for yourself, regardless of what lifestyle that is. And it's hard to you know, engage in, you know, my little classic fantasy of like, you know, romantic getaways and, you know, the kind of like, I don't know what they call it. I call it like the fifties kiss where it's like that, like passionate, just kind of like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kiss. And I'm like, oh mm-hmm. my goodness. And you just look at them and you're like, oh, that looks so romantic. But it's like, who has time for that right now? That like, that's, yeah. I don't even know. Like, I'm like, I'll do a little peck while I'm like about to run out the door, <laughs> like trying not to like spill my coffee um Mm -hmm. to like take our child to daycare and like no one has time for this but I think modern intimacy is finding a way to fit in romance to fit in sensuality to kind of get creative with the dynamic that you have to participate in in order to just be alive (laughs) in our world Mm -hmm. um and still you know, engage in that little sexy time with your partner and also like with yourself. I think modern intimacy just isn't um, like restricted to people who are in relationships. I think it's also something that you do for yourself. It could be something as simple as, you know, lighting a candle and literally even if you're like still answering emails or if you're like folding laundry, um, that's a very like intimate moment where it's just you doing a task slowing down and allowing yourself to you know kind of treasure in the mundane aspects and like the daily aspects of your life but just to kind of find and embrace the sensuality of the moments around you um that I think really push back against this like consumerist and you know workhorse society that we live in because everyone wants you to be rushing and going and doing things and it's like to say I have to do tasks but I'm going to do them in a way that makes me feel important that makes me feel centrally engaged that makes me feel I don't know warm in my own body I think Mm -hmm. is a fantastic form of resistance against this whole like capitalist class of society that's like going at 150 miles an hour all the time and so mm-hmm. that's that's how I'm approaching modern intimacy for sure. Uh, as soon as you started talking about like, just yeah, everything's so quick, right? Everyone wants mm-hmm. work to be produced quickly. Like you need to like get to it now. There is no yeah. time for you to like just embrace. Like yeah, like just the simple task and 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 um, yeah. I don't know. I. What I know that when I listen back to this, I'm gonna be like, oh, good really? quote, bam, there <laughs> we go. I I think it's great, and I think that's really good advice. Um, especially like understanding, like we're all 
kind of on the same page, right? That like, for some of us, like, slowing down is a form of resistance, like just doing that, because we're expected to not. And it's a very, um, I mean, I don't know how else, but like a big, like, middle finger to like, honestly, (laughs) it is is a big middle finger capitalist. And I think like young people, especially are like now like, Mm, fuck you capitalism but also I think we're like the same people who are like freelancing working doing contract work um trying to like grind and kind of also just like pushing ourselves like I saw a a TikTok and it was like this woman talking about oh I make ten thousand dollars a month you know doing web development and web design and she was like oh I can do it because I work really fast and I do a lot of projects and I can just do things all the time and I was like okay yes like I get that like girl boss get that get that coin sis but also this is not like the I mean it's supposed to be like oh not your parents you know job force but it still kind of is because you're just pushing yourself to work super hard even if you are working for yourself even if you are freelancing even if you don't have like a quote-unquote nine to five you're not making it it's not a fuck you to capitalism to like work yourself into the ground yeah. even if you are your own boss like you just yeah I feel like maybe that's worse because then no one else told you to like destroy yourself for money and you just told yourself that you should do it and I'm like uh, I mean I don't make ten thousand dollars a month so maybe I don't know what to say but <laughs> I mean, yeah it's nice but I just don't think that that's the way to actually kind of like tear down the system I feel like tearing down the system is a very long drawn out process that isn't necessarily always in the hand of consumers or in the hand of like individual constituents but I think kind of just being like well no like you can say no like I know that that's you know everyone's like talking about consent and like you know sexuality spaces and like there's like you can say no and people need to honor you saying no and I was like you have consent in a lot of other spaces that would affect the way that you approach your consent in your romantic sexual spaces. Like if you can tell your partner, no, I don't wanna do this. You can also tell society, your boss, your work calendar, no, I actually am gonna take an hour lunch or I am gonna take a 30 minute lunch or no, I am going to do this because this is what I need. And this is also what I'm honored in my contract technically. And I'm not just going to allow myself to be pushed into one position because that's what somebody wants me to do and it's like I think there are a lot of things that we can learn from sexual education and sexual wellness that you know if you develop and accept these kind of ideas you can just like keep just pushing them (laughs) into like the other aspects of your life and then next thing you know you don't need to buy 15 bath bombs to relax yourself because you are creating boundaries and allowing to de-stress and you know whatever welcome yourself into whatever you need and so that is modern wellness intimacy holistic anti-consumerist anti-capitalist living at its finest in my opinion but for me personally it works and for me personally I mean Maybe it's retinol, but maybe it's also that I just, you know, <laughs> I'm not stressing myself out so much. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's good for your health. It's good for your wrinkles. Who knows? I'm 
I'm definitely going to be taking some of that back with me. Um, need to practice some more, some more boundaries and in, in different aspects of my life that I think are a form of self-care because it is, it is like um, taking a stand for yourself. And I, I think like we've talked a lot about self-care on, on the podcast before, just like with the last guest I had and in the past and self-care doesn't always look good I think that was like the main right Mm -hmm. and sometimes it is hard I think it comes down to doing things for yourself that you know in the long run are going to be helpful and I think creating workplace boundaries and honoring yourself in all these different ways are exactly that Um, yeah so and I think that privilege uh, has been privilege been turned into like a dirty word but I think also the greatest form of resistance is regardless of who you are, what your skin tone is, ethnicity, class structure, whatever, is accepting that you deserve privilege because you are alive and you're in the space. So I think honoring the fact that like some of your self-care looks like literally just like not answering the email after 5.30 or not staying an hour and a half late because your boss like missed scheduled you and like they didn't have like someone else. And it's like, no, you have every right and every privilege to respect yourself. And it's just if you're under a contract or you're under anything, it's like, there's obviously all these ramifications that go with this. So it is very like, you know, tumbled uh, and intertwined thing where it's like, oh, I can't say no because then someone's going to have born forgiveness against me. You know, I think everyone should be able to be like, I'm a privileged individual because I want to give that to myself. I don't need to have society give myself my privilege, which I think is also coming from me a very, you know, classist and very privileged thing to say. But I, if I want anything, I want everyone to feel like they, you know, have the right to be a human individual with rights. Um, Mm -hmm. And they should be able to exercise just the ability to be alive and not be stressed and tired and overworked regardless of you know if they are doing housecare work for someone or if they're working in a nursing home or if they're working a nine-to-five or if they're like a director or something um no is a very powerful word and I would like to hear more people say it (laughs) I think this is a good place to pause and take a break so we will be back in a little bit And we're back. Okay. So um, the next question I have for you. So I think back in August, you were featured in Voyage Dallas and I read your profile. Amazing. So Thank good. You. Thank I will, you. I'll link it in the description of the episode so people can, can read it. Um, but I really liked this quote and I'm going to like read it back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you said the underlying notion of my writing is about access. It's about redefining the narrative of who gets to be in charge of their sexuality and sexual expression. And it's about giving humanity and acknowledgement to a number of different people and communities through acknowledging different styles of intimacy and care in all spaces. It's a really good um, profile. And, and I really, I really liked this quote like a lot. Um, so I, I want to like hear your thoughts um, specifically 
about what you mean by uh, taking charge of our sexuality and sexual expression. Like, what does what does that mean to you? I mean, I love that quote. I haven't actually read it back since I think I wrote it. Um, and then like you, you know, obviously telling that to me. Uh, it's a beautiful quote. And I love the idea of being able to give people agency. I think that that is one of the also very important things to me. I think agency and consent are a very intertwined um, group of entities. And just personally, I feel like not to say that labels aren't important because I think labels are actually very important. And I think in like this modern age that everything is on display and, you know, there's social media and there's bios. And I think having a set of labels that, you know, you feel comfortable with and that you can identify with is honestly a very quick first impression that people have of you. And it allows you to speak for yourself before anyone can speak over you, which I think is fantastic. I think, however, the idea of being able to take charge of that is one, being able to allow the labels that we want to exist in to define us, such as um, with like transgender individuals, right? Where we were having this giant, for some reason, argument about trans children being able to be children and be the children that they want to be. Um, but to say that I woke up in a body that did not correspond with how I feel on the inside. And so being able to take charge of your sexual expression and sexuality and also gender expression um, is being able to say, hey, I am now this individual. This is who I am. You should honor that. I have the agency to control that and you should respect that. And also on the other hand, to be like, I don't want to have labels. I don't want to be confined by anything. I want to be able to be fluid. I want to be able to change my mind if I want to. I don't want to have to feel like I was a straight woman or a straight man or a gay man or a gay woman for 30 years. And I actually had one of my friends come to me and he was like, fluidity, I love this quote. He was like something like, fluidity is not a new concept to me, but it is a new thing that I'm exploring for myself. And I love that. And I was like, that's taking charge of your sexuality and your sexual expression. That's taking charge of what you want to do, not because you've always done something one way or society has always seen you do something some way that you are just allowing yourself to exist exactly how you want to. And mm -hmm. I, if anything, it sounds like the simplest task, but it's so hard. It's so hard to accept yourself and to like re-accept um, re yourself in a different way from how you were. And it's a lot of grieving. It's a lot of you know, self-arguing, it's a lot of just like self-acceptance and mind-melding. And I think a lot of my writing is just kind of trying to push people to be like, hey, you are normal. You are acceptive. You acceptive. You are acceptable exactly the way that you are. And you should not let anyone else contradict you or say, oh, well, I saw you do this. So now you have to do this. And I was like, no fuck that. Just do what makes you feel happy because, and I think I wrote this in um, another article recently. I was like, I think happiness is the um, least abundant um, capital that we have. And it's like, if you are able to acquire that, and if you are able to acquire happiness, that is, you know, in this consumer society, the most 
lucrative investment and most lucrative uh, like stock, honestly, that you could have is to achieve your own happiness and self-assurance. And I think being able to take charge of your sexuality and sexual expression, I mean, as taboo as it is, is a very important thing because a lot of our inner workings are about, you know, is it okay that I dress like this? Is it okay that I look like this? Is it okay that I like someone like this? Um, if someone else sees me out on the street, are they going to think that I'm okay? And a lot of that has to do with the people that we have in our arm and the people who we, you know, are with someone else. And mm-hmm. I am very, very much an advocate for that. And I just, I think that's most of my work is just trying to get people to be um, as joyous and happy as they can doing what comes natural to them. Um, also always with like the asterisk of as long as you're not hurting anyone else. Um, and also yeah. as long as you're not hurting yourself, I think that that's, we always think about other people when we're talking about hurting, but I mean, also don't like sacrifice anything that's important to you or don't like increasingly hurt yourself or bruise yourself in order to make other people happy. Um, mm-hmm. and so it all goes hand in hand, like, but yeah um cool so yeah going back to sex education we kind of talked a little bit about this um I you know would love to know what your sex ed looked like um and then we'll get more into talking about uh having a trans inclusive sex ed curriculum as you had mentioned um to me and all that good stuff so yeah we just want to start off with what did your sex education look like? Uh, I mean, my sex education was wildly uncomprehensive. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> but it's like, I don't even remember anything at all. Like, I feel like they probably, I know that they showed us like pictures of like STDs and like what are STIs. But other than that, I don't even know I don't we didn't do like the whole which I wrote an article about it's like you know the banana the condom on the banana thing um the only thing that I remember which I think is absolutely hilarious is that uh a girl I think this was in eighth grade a girl in our class um asked the question and she was like if we wear two condoms at once is it better (laughs) and I remember looking at her and then looking at the people that are doing the presentation, I was like, that's a good question. Y'all should answer that. Uh, yeah. And then, because when you're, what, 13, 14, 15, whatever age you are in eighth grade, this makes sense. You're like, okay, you guys want me to be protected, but I'm trying to be uber protected. And these are the kind of questions you get when you have incomprehensive sex education. And also um other than that I have no idea what happened I don't know what the boys learned because obviously they like split up girls and boys but yeah no I was like I don't remember anything about sex I don't even think I had like a sex talk I know I didn't have a sex talk with my parents I feel like I mean like there was like nothing like I feel like they were just like hoping I wasn't having sex I wasn't because I was like I don't know even what is sex I mean you see it in a movie and then you're like but what is that? I didn't even kiss anyone until I think I was in college because I just was like so confused <laughs> about everything that was happening. 
And then I think when I had my first kiss, I was like, uh, what? This is kind of, mm. anyway, it just wasn't what all that I thought it was going to be. And so I feel like when I think about what sex education really should be, and honestly, just like sexual health and just health generally, um, I would like it to start younger. I always get flack for that, where it's like, I think it should start in fifth grade. But I think that the sex education and wellness that you teach a fifth grader is going to be far different than the sex education and wellness that you teach a 15-year-old. Um, just because naturally you're doing different things and everything's going in a different space and orientation. But I really, especially now having like nieces and nephews and seeing them grow up um, and not that they are my children, but like you kind of like take them in as you know, part of your own family unit and that sense of like anxiety that you get when you either have a child or you like have a young child into, into your family unit um, of like, oh my goodness, things can happen to this child. What do we teach this child about how to protect themselves, how to stay safe, stranger danger? It's like, if I were to like give a fifth grader who maybe is like nine or 10, honestly, maybe even younger, I'm lying. Every time I talk about sexual health and wellness, I'm like, it just gets younger and younger and younger. I'm like third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. And it's mostly about consent. I think teaching about consent as young as you can is aggressively necessary, aggressively helpful. I mean, like trigger warning, but there are so many children that, you know, are sexually assaulted and abused. And sometimes they don't even know what's going on. They don't know if it's the right. They don't know if it's, you know, you know, this is like something that, you know, I do with my parents, it's something I do with my aunts and uncles, it's something I do with, you know, our next day neighbor, it's the normal situation, where while it might be normal, because it's happening so often, it is not acceptable by any means or regards. It's like, they should learn about these things, because we send our children to school to learn how to be um, smart, how to be active, how to be engaged, how to, you know, learn about themselves, how to engage in hobbies, and we are teaching them so many great things. I think that because we don't prioritize sexuality, sexual wellness, sexual um, knowledge, and you know, ineptness, that we allow our children to go around, you know, being naive to the aspects that are like happening so often, not even just in America, but like every country, everywhere, every class structure, home structure, whatever, it doesn't really matter. And I think that's probably the number one thing that I would instill is consent teaching. I just, I want them to learn how to be safe and how to engage in actions that feel comfortable for them and to have all the knowledge they need to make the appropriate decisions that they need for themselves. And I think that they can't do that if they don't have any knowledge because no one wants to teach it to them. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I've had this conversation with other people and consent is like one of the main things that is brought up because like you were saying earlier, right? Being able to say no or yes outside of like um, sex or a romantic relationship or a sexual relationship, whatever, like is necessary. It is very important. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a boundary that like you can use anywhere. Um, and so I am very much here for like teaching young children 
uh, about consent. I actually think it's really funny about that some people um, feel certain ways about consent because they only view it as like during like something that happens during sex or like is necessary during sex. And and we know that our curriculum here in Texas is very shitty. Like you said, not comprehensive. Has anything really changed from like when you were receiving sex ed? Probably not because the curriculum hadn't been, uh, hasn't been updated since uh, I think it was 97. And the changes that passed are still not like comprehensive. So yeah, a lot to say about that. And I very much feel strongly and advocate for sex ed that starts very young. And it doesn't have to immediately go into pleasure, which I feel like is what people think. Similar to you, my parents did not talk to me about uh, sex. I did not have a sex talk. Um, it was just like, that's not something that you do, right? And I was like, I mean, I guess not. <laughs> and that was it. So um, yeah, and and I I want to ask you one last question before we move on to like our, our um, rapid fire and whatnot. Um, you talked a, a little bit about this, so obviously having consent, but is there anything else that you would want a sex ed, like a comprehensive sex ed curriculum to have, especially when it comes to like being trans inclusive? I think all those things are honestly great. And I was thinking about it, I, you know, Spur of the moment hot take, I think that sexual education a comprehensive sex ed should maybe be similar to driver's education in the sense that I think I was taught and I think a lot of other drivers are taught that you don't drive for yourself, you drive for other people on the road. Um, and so you make sure that like you know what's going on on your left, your right, your front and your back. That way, you know, if anything happens, you can react to it in a way that saves you and also maybe saves the other people on the road, but like you are not just acting with your own interests in mind. And I think when we come to comparative sexual education, you maybe are learning a lot of facts and a lot of things that don't always pertain to you and don't always help you. Like maybe it's not, you know, necessary um, to know what every yellow sign means on the road, but you do supposedly, um, or you're taught that. And so when it comes to sexual education, I think that we just want to teach individuals from whatever age that we start to it, to whatever age we end, that being whenever they finish um, high school, about all of the rules and dynamics that could potentially arise. And I think that that is a very helpful thing. That way they know what's what, what's up, what's down. And then I think we just have to stop one, ignoring our children and our youth when they ask us questions and also stop lying to them. Like this whole idea of like, there's so many children um, who see, you know, their parents, guardians be pregnant, have a kid. And they're like, where do babies come from? And you tell this convoluted lie about where babies come from and about how this happens. That's also kind of, not to say perpetuating, but it doesn't give our children and our youth enough, like the verbiage that you're saying, enough knowledge, the right words to know how those actions happen and if they should be engaging with them and just learning about that as it continues on. And when it comes to trans inclusive framework, I think 
having that abundance of knowledge is helpful because it's, you know, kind of, it's like you learn about other people on the road, you learn about other dynamics of gender expression and sexuality expression. And, you know, maybe you learn about all these things about driving and you realize that you don't want to drive or you realize that you love driving, so to speak. Um, or you realize that, you know, maybe I shouldn't be in the left lane and I should drive in the middle or the right lane because I don't feel comfortable being in that space. And when it comes to trans inclusive sexual education, you learn about different gender expressions, sexual realities, et cetera. What is, you know, quote unquote normal, what is acceptable. And you can learn about yourself. You can learn about other people. That way you don't feel I, the thing that I hate the most is like this idea where it's like there are children who are out here and they feel, you know, like there's something wrong with them or they feel, you know, like they're doing something that's inappropriate or thinking things are inappropriate because they're like, well, people told me I was this. And so I have to stay like this. And I didn't get to learn about the different lanes that I could be in that would make me feel more comfortable. And that is honestly all I want. I feel like a lot of people think about trans inclusive and you're like, oh, you're telling kids that they can switch genders. You're telling them they can do this. They can tell them they can do that. And I was like, I'm just telling them how the world works. Just giving them the knowledge to make choices that are appropriate for whatever lane of life and whatever reality that they want to construct for themselves. I think that that is a way of respecting young people. I think that's a way of giving them agency. I think that's a way of honoring uh, the way in which they want to live their life. I am very much the camp of like, children are many humans and they should be treated as such. They are still children and they're not adults. Um, and so they should still be able to live as children, but that does not mean that they shouldn't have any autonomy, respect or agency, whatever. And those are definitely things that are very important to me when it comes to sexual education. But yeah, just like a <laughs> K for 12, sexual education is just something that's comprehensive that you learn like how you learn your ABCs and then you end at Shakespeare, you start at the ABCs of sexual education and you end um, at sexual pleasure and wellness. Well, it looks like we have to, we have to redo the whole system. So if you're free next week, we can like get to work. <laughs> no, but, but um, yeah, but I'm, yeah I'm, I'm going to be there. I'll just, <laughs> no, All right, cool. I'll book you in next Tuesday. <laughs> oh. But yeah, right, like there's like, you bring up a lot of good points that it's not just like sex ed is not separate or shouldn't be separate from all these other things, right? Because it's it's like you you learn about your body and or you should learn about your body and all these other things that are relevant like every step of the way. And sometimes like, um, yeah, like you're you're not you're just not getting that education, and it really sucks, especially, um, you know, like here in Texas. And um, as you were saying, like young people deserve to to know that like this idea of like what is normal again is just very focused on like like okay, like yeah, like the this is how you were born, and that's how you have to be, and this is the way that society works. So there you go. Um, and I I think that we definitely need to. Um, respect young people and respect their autonomy and educate them empower them to like be able to make the decisions that are best for them so great great conversation and we're gonna we're gonna 
we're going to do rapid fire. Um, and then you can do shout outs and, uh, you know, plug yourself in your work. So rapid fire is, is, um, how do you say, uh, it's not that deep. Okay. So people get really nervous about this. It's not that deep. So I have some questions for you. Um, okay. Um, an album that you always go back to. Mm, you know what? Ooh, there's so many, but I love Raichi Sakamoto's album Free. I listen to that all the time. There's so many emotions in it. I feel like there is a track on that album, which I think that there's like 15 maybe plus um, tracks, which is a good number. Um, and I just, I love his compositions. He's fantastic. Um, so that's definitely my go-to album. All right, uh, I'll listen to this. Um, next question, your ideal morning. I mean, this one, you're like, it's not that deep, but like I have like an ideal morning that I would engage in. And it's like, let me just like, okay, so I wake up. <laughs> but no, I feel like I would wake up and I would wake up like kind of early, but like not early, like maybe like between like 6.30 and like 7.30 more towards like that six range like 645 honestly 627 i'm gonna just say it 627 is that ideal i woke up i'm feeling fresh the sun is coming through the window i'm like in i have like all white bedding i'm like ah stretch um my cat's like you know at my feet and then i like wake up i like probably like shuffle down um and like make some coffee of course i probably have some album on in the background I love to like wake up and like listen to samba music because I think that just like kind of like gets your energy and like vibes going or it gets mine going um and then like maybe I would like sit in the backyard and like drink my cup of coffee or cup of tea I love a brisk morning like a nice like cool kind of like 55 degree morning delicious and then I'd probably take my dog for a walk and then come back get all clean and like yummy and who knows I mean ideal morning I wouldn't be working the rest of the day so then I would probably go um and do some stuff that I think is exciting like maybe I have waspy habits and I was like maybe I'd go play tennis or maybe I would go to the golf course <laughs> or maybe I would go to Lowe's because I'm a stereotype <laughs> And I'd be like, let's get some hardware stuff done and let's do a project, sister. Um, or maybe I would just go over to like my sister and her husband's house and like hang out. That's probably what I would do. Um, but I would probably end up doing some type of hardware project at their house too, because if it's not here, it's there. <laughs> the last one I have for you is, um, do you have an affirmation that you find yourself repeating? And if so, what is it? Well, I don't think... I do, but I think of what I always was telling myself in the past and what I continue to tell myself now is that I am trying. Um, and I think it's also with the asterisk of the question, are you trying or are you whining? Which is a lot of self-tough love to put on myself at one moment in time. But there is like kind of a space where I you know, need to be like a little tough on myself. And I'm like, okay, are you wallowing in your own self-pity 
or are you actually having a moment where it's actually hard for you and you need to take time and energy to reset? Because I think that's also a very important part of trying because as you're saying with everything else, self-care, trying doesn't look the same every day. Like sometimes the most successful aspect of trying to live my life to get up every day is literally just getting out of bed and being clean or brushing my teeth or, you know, getting out of my pajamas, whatever. And if that's as much as I can try in a day, then I can feel good about that. But it's like, I don't want to push myself so hard that I, you know, burn out, but how far can I make myself uncomfortable in order to benefit myself? I think is that. Wow. I love that. Okay. Um, Well, thank you for playing rapid fire with me. Uh, next, do you have any shout outs, um, people, things, anything? I mean, obviously I have to shout out you. I mean, like, come on now. Like, I'm obviously so honored and so excited to be on this podcast. I have been like, I remember, gosh, I feel old now. Like when you first started the podcast <laughs> and like seeing those episodes and seeing everything you're doing. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is so fantastic. She's so amazing. And I am so honored to be here closing out this, you know, fantastic, you know, moment and time and everything. Um, I mean, obviously, I also have to shout out my mom, you know, hashtag birth giver. Um, (laughs) But I mean, I feel like she definitely shaped a lot of who I am today. And even I think about it, you know, often where I'm like, okay, I'm like this. And then I'm like, oh wait, I'm like this because of something that my mom told me when I was like 12. And I'm like, am I a normal individual who has their own thoughts or am I just a product of my upbringing? Um, yes and no. Yeah, for sure. And then I feel like it's, I was thinking about it initially when I think about shout outs. I don't know <laughs> why, but I was like, I wouldn't shout out Feed the People Dallas. Hashtag, let's go. But like, mostly because I was talking about this yesterday somebody and it's like this you know ridiculous infrastructure that is Dallas city everything and the way that they continue to privatize all of their like public health services homelessness services whatever just aid and make it you know put in the hands of mostly the Meadows Foundation in Dallas is so irksome to me and it makes it so hard for people who need resources, who need help, who just need care to gain access to it. And I am really so appreciative of organizations like them who are, you know, doing community gardens, who are helping to distribute free food and, you know, pantries for people who need those resources and just creating this community and just body of individuals who can like care for each other. And I think that that kind of like collective care whether that's, you know, nutritional or emotional is so important. And I am so happy that we have an organization like that um, in the city. And I wish we had more, honestly. Uh, I love that. I wasn't expecting that, but I'm here for it. Uh, so, and also thank you so much for um, shouting me out. I'm always like, oh, please do not feel like you have to. It was, it's honestly like, so great having you on. I'm I'm really glad that that you were able to come and talk to me. Um, and the last thing, please plug yourself and your work. Where can people find you? Where can people find group connections? Like, yeah. 
Yeah, so, um, you know, I am on Instagram. My handle is at Maxwell Caitlin, K-A-T-E-L-E-N. And then you can find me there at the Friend Connections, literally anywhere. It's just under Friend Connections. So our website is Friend Connections, Instagram page, Friend Connections, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, And you can find us all there. You can read my writing on our website at Friend Connections. You can also, if you go to my Instagram, most of my writing and features are linked in the link tree in my bio. And yeah, I do that. As you know, we've said I'm, you know, I work in marketing and media, and then I'm also, you know, a sex educator and wellness coach and also intimacy coach and just overall uh, romantic individual trying to shell out some helpful information to everyone. (laughs) Uh, Wow, thank you so much. Um, I will say that y'all definitely need to read the Friend Connections blog. So many good articles there. And um, I think y'all, I think you can sign up through the website, but, you can get weekly um, emails from from Maxwell and uh, this week in gay news, like top tier. So uh, yeah, amazing. Um, okay, well, thank you so much again for being here and talking to me. <laughs> um, it was fun. This is probably gonna be two parts. So congrats, you get a two-parter. Um, <laughs> it's only because I've been talking everyone's ear off. <laughs> good I you know it'll be it'll be good um so yeah with that would you like to say goodbye uh with me on three okay I was like I was like do we, was there a is there a signature like a specific signature or do we just say bye <laughs> no we just say bye okay um all right one two three bye, bye. I feel like I've been Maxwell Poison you guys have been fantastic <laughs>
always knowing the right things to say and for hyping me up. <laughs> um, I want to thank every single guest I had for sharing your knowledge with us, with me, um, and you know, for always coming on and honestly leaving such an impact on me. Um, I will never forget the conversations that we had and all the things I learned from you all. Um, thank you to everyone who has interacted with this podcast. So if you're listen listening to it, uh, thanks to you. Um, and thank you to all of the reproductive justice um, folks, RJ baddies, if you will, um, in Texas, who encouraged me to begin this and gave me the confidence to keep it going for like a whole year. Um, yeah, I... I don't know if I would have been able to do any of this without um, all of you, so thank you. Um, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider listening to some of my favorite podcasts, which include the Yikes podcast, All My Relations, Abortion with Love, Black Feminist Rands, Enzel Doing It, Café Con Chisme, Sex Ed with DB, and the Sex Agenda podcast. Um, their work is all great and necessary and just amazing and hopefully will inspire you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, with that, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and for the last time, I hope you take care and um, until next time. Bye y'all.